When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, folks. Welcome back to the Mountain West Wire football podcast, MWR.com. After delays, mostly on me. I'm not going to blame Matt for anything because it's all my fault. Uh, travel, being sick, and moving. We're on our final preview. New Mexico Lobos. This is a group effort, though. <laughs> so I will, I will just say that. And honestly, we're still right on schedule because, uh, you know, we're recording this on August 18th, which means that uh, week zero is about a week and a half away. Uh, so all that we have left after this is sort of our big giant wrap up mega preview. And then we're on to previews and recaps, you know, the best time of year. Exactly. And I'm, writing up a document right now to email you to have some fun for our previews because i know you like to um the predictions you make you're not swayed by anything during outside of major donald hammond the third type of uh departures of the team which we had a couple years ago you're basically locked yeah. into your schedule correct pretty much yeah i mean since we've been you know recording all these podcasts it's not like there's been anything earth shattering across the mountain west as so of now I'm more or less <laughs> sticking with everything i've been predicting over the summer so we'll have some fun games we'll make some predictions some bold picks all that type of fun stuff but today's at lobos we give them their due danny gonzalez is there back with the team um obviously rocky long's helping out with the defense there to uh do we have a term that we're using for Rocky Long's uh, right off to the sunset, but he's actually being uh, – he's not stealing a paycheck. He's actually trying hard to make this team really good. Is there a term we can come up with that's complementary to uh, outside of the sunset type of uh, term people use when they're writing off after their career? Like, oh, we're just coasting to the end of the line here. I, I don't know if you would call it a term. I think of it in terms of sort of recentering his work-life balance, which personally – Love it. I understand completely. Yes, doing this, doing other things. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good gig. Like, he wants to be around the college football, but he doesn't want to have the grind of being the guy. So, kudos to him, right? If we could all do that, wouldn't that be awesome? Mm, wouldn't that be nice, yeah. <laughs> all right, so so they have Gonzalez, obviously. They have Long, as we mentioned. They When we look at what they, we started last year, their team is um, – 
Well, it's a little buzz. They started off promised with Terry Wilson, who people put like top half of the Mountain West quarterback ranking. I'm like, slow down, folks. Got hurt early on. They ended up finishing with just three wins, beating Houston Baptist 27-17 in the opener. They beat Wyoming somehow 14-3, and then they also beat New Mexico State, their rival, for that 3-9. and nine. Besides that, um, couple blow- mostly blowouts. The only other real close game was UTEP, who they do play again this year, which is kind of surprising it was only a seven-point game with UTEP being pretty good last year. One of the better teams that yeah. have dated them in a while. Yeah, like if you if you look back at last year, you would say obviously a lot of things went wrong in certain in year two of of the Dana Gonzalez era. But you know, at the same time, you know, if if you paid close attention, you could see that there was progress too. So yeah, yeah, on the whole, like they you know on offense, um, which is really sort of the, the story of the entire season. Mm-hmm. Um, Trouble you, know, you know how we usually, you know, if you've been listening to these podcasts, you know that right off the bat, I usually list off a bunch of sort of the traditional statistics, advanced statistics to give you a sense of how the how the the season that was went. And with New Mexico, it's really simple. Hold on, hold on. Can, um, I, can I help you? Were... Can I help you real quick? Can I just give the yeah. two second answer? They were bad. <laughs> Partially. On offense. Yeah. Yeah. Offense. Offense. Um, offense. Yeah. It Good. Was, it, I mean, and that was a confluence of both injuries and ineffectiveness. Obviously, Terry Wilson was the biggest one, but he was hardly alone in that regard. But, you know, sure. the end product, it really cannot be argued with. They were dead last in all of FBS in yards per play. They were dead last in offensive SP+, uh, dead last in points per drive, dead last in available yards percentage earned on offense. So what that all does, though, is it sort of obscures that, you know, the defense did take another step forward despite the circumstances. So yeah, like if you if you're sort of scouting the stat line and you see, you know, they had a lot of blowouts throughout the year. But you know, the defense, you know, played pretty well given the circumstances. Uh, you know, just in terms of like defensive SP plus, for example, it, where the offense was dead last, the defense was 95th. So it's not like it was great, but it was it was better than it had been the year before. Yeah, same in terms of points allowed per drive. That's what I was getting at. Like the, um, look, know, were, looking at points per game, they like I'll let you finish your, but they weren't. They, yeah, thirty points multiple times, which isn't great, but there was no like fifty to ten or crushing defeat. Like their worst loss was thirty-seven zero to yeah. Boise State, thirty-four zero Texas A&M. So it was not great, but it wasn't embarrassingly bad. Just like really bad, if that's a better way to put yeah, it. Yeah, like if. If I told you that the defense was 87th overall in points per drive allowed and 75th in available yards percentage allowed, would you say that that's a lot better than you would have expected? Based on the record, yes. But look, yeah, and they what they give about 30 points per game, I believe, throughout the year, and so mm-hmm. yeah, that's slightly better. Just because you give up 30 plus, it's one of the worst in the country. But then if they're a oh, what's that bottom what top 75 percent, I guess if they're 80 mid 80s, that's a uh, Better than I would expect, yeah, based on the result and how many points per game they're giving up. Yeah, let's let's put it this way. You know, we talked about Wyoming a long time ago in terms of uh, available yards percentage, but the Cowboys and the Lobos were actually neck and neck in that regard last year. Just to put that in a little bit of context. So it's very easy to see sort of what the bell curve looks like for the Lobos this year. You know, obviously, on the one hand, you want to see if the defense can get better in year three under Rocky Long. But obviously, a lot is going to a lot more is going to depend on the offense rebounding to some extent. So, like we talk here and there on this podcast about regression to the mean, 
And in a lot of respects, that's going to be a given. And, it, and the story of the season is really going to be revolving around the, the answer to the question, how much? Mm-hmm. TBD, that's all I'm getting out. Most of the stuff, offense, defense, I'm not entirely sure. Defense, I think, will make bigger yeah. strides, I believe, because the two defensive coaches there, Gonzalez and um, Long, like they want to start with defense, and then if they get to 70th, that's a 15, 20, 20 um, number, or what, what's the eight, 80s? Like if they get to the 70s, low 70s, that's a that's a good, good improvement. That means you're basically average defensively nationally just about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, before we jump into the uh, jump into like the sort of the position position breakdown, shout out to uh, to Frank Mercogliano and all the other people mm. in the communications department. Whoever put to, like the roster for New Mexico. Yes, thank you. That's the standard right there. Every every Mountain West team should be doing this. Every team in the country, Come because on. It, because he lays out very clearly, you know, all of the different kinds of you know COVID related vagaries, like who, who's a super senior who has that extra year of eligibility left, has social media uh, links and everything like that. So, like, everybody else, you got to get on New Mexico's level there. Because it's going to be still for, yeah, for what, at least three more, sorry, Mike hit it here, three, what, three more years or something like that? I think so, yeah. Because if you're a freshman in 2020, you get a free year, so 20, 21, 22, you through, through 2024 for football and through 25 if you're other sports that go through the spring. So it's going to be a thing for a couple more years. Yeah, and it's mostly because I am team grid when it comes to <laughs> roster pages. So thank you for that. Yeah, Mexico. just make it here's the thing, like media guides looking at rosters. It's like just I'm looking at it right now. You pull it up here. You have like we said the Twitter links, you have their class experience, and they have like the what is it, asterisks, ampersands, one varsity letter slash RS redshirt. Like I'm looking at Isaiah Chavez real quick, quarterback, one varsity letter, red shirt, his experience, actual class. So the classes, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing, I'm trying to remember exactly what it meant. Is uh, I guess their school, their actual school class, they would be typically classified as like redshirt junior, sophomore. Mm-hmm. But then the other tab, or not tab, but the other line next to it, has like Will Dennis, just plum random guys like JC, so he's a junior. Or you have a two varsity letter redshirt, Rico Hanna, linebacker, redshirt senior, which I'm guessing, if I recall, what their symbols are. But it's just great. Just go look at Instagram, Twitter links. The only thing they are missing which Hawaii does a great job of this and some schools in the West Coast. Not that Lobo's needed, but a, pronunci- a pronunciation guide is always nice. But this one, uh, mm-hmm. not necessarily needed when you have guys like David Murphy or uh, Connor Withhoff or Diane Hunter. Not the uh, 20, a- 25 vowels in a row with the apostrophes here and there. You pronounce every vowel as you go through. <laughs> are, you, are you ready for this transition? Go for it. It's a lot clearer than their quarterback situation. Oh, snap. Um, that was smooth, and, they, and <laughs> I appreciate the, re- the the reaction, however sincere or not it might. No, have been. it's great because we um, don't know because Terry Wilson was injured last year. There's a potential. Our buddy Rogers is going to be at the scrimmage, I think, Saturday, so there could be a potential announcement at that point. At that point, but um, right now they had a scrimmage. I'm looking here in the Albuquerque Journal a couple days ago on August 16th, where it looks like uh, they have a who they have in there. Have, uh, Clever Gwynn, or no, sorry, wrong person there. Sorry, uh, Glover Gwynn. Yeah, Glover. Glover. <laughs> hey, give me the pronunciation guide. Come on. I'm just uh sorry, I'm looking at the wrong um I'm just looking at something incorrectly there. I'm scrolling through the wrong thing. But the quarterback, Miles Kendrick, is he uh transfer from Kansas, which uh that's from Kansas. So what do we care? You know what I mean? But 
that might be the guy who's stepping up to potentially be the guy to uh, play. Um, could be a starter, but again, we don't know because they're a they're keeping it close to the vest. B, mm-hmm. they may not know because this is year. I don't even know how far to go back before this is the first time they've had like they. This isn't the year they have, but there's been multiple years where who's your quarterback? We don't know because injuries year before, guys transferring, guys graduation eligibility re- re- just expires. So I don't. I can't even name the last time where they came in with like, hey, was it Cole Gauchy who we know is their starting quarterback who we both didn't like like a decade ago almost? It seems like, but they knew was well, the guy. During some of those uh, some of those Bob Davy option years, I'm just saying the quarterback was born. Remember? <laughs> yeah, I mean to to give you a sense of of when I say it literally could not be a worse situation than it was last year. Um, if you actually go and look at the official stats that that New Mexico put out there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different players through at least one pass last year. Because Boy. the offense was just looking for any kind of spark that the passing game could give them. And so it wasn't just quarterbacks throwing passes. It was, you know, a couple of wide receivers, I think, through passes as well. But which is a long way of saying that, you know, it's it's tempting to think of it in terms of, you know, with Terry Wilson and without Terry Wilson. The reality was though you know, especially when Wilson was under center, that they were pretty good against suspect defenses throwing the football mm-hmm. and and not so good against defenses that could push them around a little bit. So by that, I mean that over the course of the season, you know, for example, they had six games where as a team, they completed under 50% of those passes. Three of those happened with Wilson as the starting quarterback against Texas A&M against UTEP and against San Diego State. They also had eight games throughout the entire season that where they can where they had a yards per attempt average of under five yards. Not good. Not great. So you know it, it so it's easy to sort of to make light of the fact that like Kendrick, yeah, he comes from Kansas and same old Kansas, but at the same time, when you look at what he actually did, you know, he 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 saw playing time. He saw starting time with the Jayhawks over, you know, three of the last four seasons. You know, I think most prominently, you know, in 2020, where, you know, I think the, the biggest problem that he had was the same one that the Lopez had last year, where, you know, his yards per attempt career average is only 5.4. But, you know, he he's made four starts. He's completed 61% of his passes uh, mm-hmm. throughout his career. And, you know, he mostly held his own you know, when he was pushed into a starter role. And so I have to think that, you know, if he's sort of seen as the front runner for the job, that, you know, if they can keep him on his feet, which that's, you know, that's going to get into other things that we'll talk mm, about later. Yes, it will. But he might be able to provide them the stability that they thought they would get before Wilson got hurt last year. We'll see, because the quarterback situation, it's he's in the mix, but here's all the guys who are there, who Danny Gonzalez has said. You have Kendrick, as we mentioned. You have redshirt freshman C.J. Mm-hmm. Montez. Is that how you say it, correct? Yes. I believe, because it's the S at the end, not the Z, so I'm like, ooh, I question myself. Yeah, Montez, yeah. Montez and Kendrick seem to have separated. We also have um, transfer from Fresno City College, Justin Holiday, and then we all know Isaiah, you know very well, unfortunately, Isaiah Chavez, who uh, – beat Fresno State a couple years ago as a starting quarterback mm-hmm. where he was a walk-on New Mexico player of the year quarterback. But those are the guys, but it looks like it's Montez and Kendrick. I think Kendrick's getting the lead from what we're saying about a couple touchdown passes he had, mostly short stuff in the um, running what he's 
running the offense, what they're doing. But like you mentioned, mm-hmm. his stats have been okay, but he also doesn't have a ton of experience outside of 2020 where he played, I think he started three, five, it looks like here six games, played in eight that year. Had, like I said, 60% completion percentage is okay, but the six TDs to five picks isn't ideal that year. So he, he's no Terry Wilson who came with some hype, but if he's a guy, like you said, if he can have those similar numbers, drop the interceptions, and keep him upright, he I think they're probably leaning toward him to be the starter because he has, I believe, if I'm correct, the most experience of anybody on this roster starting quarterback, which is kind of a big deal when Lobos yeah. haven't had stability in, in ages. Yeah, because you know Chavez has has been able to sort of pull one over on a couple of opponents over the last couple of seasons, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Yeah, that's really his biggest concern. Um, and then as far as Montes is concerned, you know, I think it would be unfair to hold his performance, especially against I believe it was against Colorado State last year against him, mm-hmm. where you know they, they the the offense basically had nothing to offer that day, and it wasn't you can't put that all on one player. Um, so I have to think that, you know, if, if they can at least have one or two guys that they can rely upon, you know, I think ideally they'd be able to, you know, choose one guy, keep them healthy all year long. But if not, yeah. you know, maybe it is better that they have a plan B that they can feel good about, you know, if their depth ends up being tested again. Exactly. So Sanchez said he, or it's not Sanchez, excuse me, um, Gonzalez said he's they're They're not going to rush their starting decision, but it be, here's basically exactly what it says. If we're, if we're not prepared, and then to name the starter, I'm not going to rush any decision, but I would like to. That's his plan. So he potentially, the scrimmage Saturday, he says we'll see on Monday. So I'm guessing, I don't, I assume they talk to people after scrimmage on Saturday. That's kind of how it is, unless it's super closed off. Mm-hmm. But there's potential Monday, or which would be a week from today, week one, uh, or week game week of week zero, which they are not part of. It would be, what, the twenty August 22nd. So we have a date down there because we're recording this a few days before and two days before that Saturday. So I think it'll be him. And is there any harm in naming the starter? They open up against Maine on September 3rd. Is there any harm or anything to not say it's going to be uh, the Kansas transfer coming in? Like it's going to be – I mean, like is there a harm to name it? Because we know so. how it is. I mean, I think, how I think especially like if, if I'm an athlete in that locker room, I want to know for sure – I want to know what to expect. Oh, they'll know. I mean, telling and us be, who's and not be able there. To play accordingly. No, I mean telling people outside the program. Oh yeah, I mean I, I don't think there is. No. Okay, it's not uh, Troy Calhoun not named as DC or what freaking Bill Belichick is. All right, you Matt Patricia call plays. You other coach, I think Joe Judge call plays an offense. I'm like that's kind of weird. So let's mm-hmm. go. Should we move on to running back? Were they starting over? Unfortunately, unfortunately, again when they have their. Because that was sort of a bright spot of the year. What kind of was it? Aaron Dumas there? He's now at Washington transferred, but he had multi, he had a game, multiple games over. No, excuse me, one game over 100 yards. Did quite well. Was with the lack of passing game and offensive line play for him doing what he did with um, 658 yards, only two touchdowns. It's, it's a big loss because he was a young guy. Because I think a true freshman, I believe, last year, and he played reasonably well. And there's some optimism with, hey, you got a good running back, and now hit the portal. When McHale and DeBoer, they're up at, at UW there, and now they're starting a new running back this year. So that's uh, well, unfortunate. Yes yes, and no. Okay, new starting running back? Get, they do get Nathaniel Jones back. Okay, and I believe last year he was academically ineligible if memory serves. It's a good move. And uh, I don't think so. No? But you know, when you look no. back at what he was able to No, I just mean having him back, having a player back who played. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
but when you look back at what he did in 2020, like he wasn't the full-time guy in that during the COVID season, but he acquitted himself pretty well. You know, he had 49 carries, 232 yards, and four touchdowns over the course of that season. Yeah, that average, I believe that average was like 4.8 yards per carry. And that'll play. Like if he ends up being sort of the lead guy in a committee, I think, you know, the difference between last year and this year is where, you know, Gonzalez really leaned hard on on both Dumas and, and Bobby Cole. Um, you know, this time around, I think they have more options that, at their disposal. And, you know, unlike the quarterback situation, they might just be more proactive about giving guys carries, seeing who stands out and sort mm-hmm. of thinning the field from there. So, like, I, for example, I look at guys like, you know, uh, like the Jugo transfer, Sherrod White, who... You know, in, in, I believe it was Mount Jacinto, Mount San Jacinto College. He had over a thousand yards, a thousand and one, to be exact. Uh, averaged over seven yards an attempt, and he had fifteen touchdowns last year. Um, or alternatively, this could also be a situation where some of their recent recruits, true freshmen this year, um, might be able to carve out a role for themselves. So you might also look like a, at a guy like Zach Vigil, um, not the Zach Vigil we know from Utah State. Mm. Um, this Zach Vigil was the New Mexico State Player of the Year last year. Had over 1,500 rushing yards, had 30 touchdowns, and they also brought in another three-star running back from Helix High in San Diego, uh, Christian Washington, who, you know, if you, if you thought 1,500 yards and 30 touchdowns sounded impressive, uh, he had 2,200 yards as a high school senior and 31 touchdowns. That's a pretty big program. That's where Alex Smith and Reggie Bush went to school years ago. So it's like a yeah, it's a and pretty so, good school. So I- you between those those new arrivals and between you know veterans like Bobby Wooden and Ch- Chad Alexander who you know sort of been role players over the last few years, it's it, it's a committee that might be a little better than expected if, as you mentioned earlier. You know, same as with the quarterback situation, if the offensive line can improve too, that'll that'll do wonders, I think, for an offense that really wants to be balanced and and tried its best to be last year. I think with there, I think there's hope is the best way to put the running situation, because here's the thing: like with look at the offensive line, how it wasn't great last year, and look what Dumas did. Also, we mentioned Cole is in the train was out as well, number two running back, so he's not that guy, the Bobby Cole. Yeah. So, for amount of yards Dumas ran despite having a pretty uh, poor offensive line, there's always been a decent, like, I'm using decent loosely, but the running offense, or running, sorry, not offense overall, but the players running the ball over the past recent years have been, what, average? Not, okay, I think I'll go adequate. Is that the best way to put it? They've been adequate? The running game in the past couple of years. Yeah, it, it hasn't been bad. Not that's bad, but that's what you're saying. I'm just, I'm just not like Bobby called the year before in the COVID year had 548 yards in seven games. They've had running backs mm-hmm. out there like Ahmad Davis a couple years ago had 832 yards and was third in the conference in yards per game and had seven touchdowns. So that's been a bright spot. It's just been like Davis graduated, Cole wasn't eligible, or excuse me, sorry, wrong person. The Cole 2020, and then they do Monster. It's like they've had these guys. They've been doing well enough. It's not a the running game has never been like oh it could yes it could be better but it hasn't been downtrodden like the outpassing quarterback which has been a rotation of carousel for a decade it seems like these there seems like there's promise there and is it safe to say am I wrong to say the offensive line can't be any worse than last year is that being too optimistic (laughs) of what they have up front well uh if we're going to transition there I'm going to say um there's very little margin for them to be rougher than they were last year 
So like, you know how I mentioned at the very onset that as a, as a team, as an offense, you know, that, you know, SP plus available percentage mm-hmm. and all, all those kinds of things. Uh, that was also true of a lot of the offensive line metrics too. Um, you know, in terms of opportunity rate, which is just getting running backs to the second level dead last mm. in FBS. I just want to clarify that. Um, stuff rate allowed. So getting stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage, dead last. You know, one of every four running plays, basically 25.5% was went for zero yards or negative yardage last year. Um, and then by some other metrics, you know, 126th by power success rate. So they weren't that good in short yarded situations. And they weren't that good at pass blocking either. Um you know, they were 125th nationally with an 11% sack rate. Oof. So you might say that it's not necessarily a bad thing that they're starting over in a lot of respects. No kidding. Like, like I said, can it be worse? Hope not. No. Because they have, you know, young guys who, who are probably going to be elevated in one or two of the starting spots. Like, you know, this is an, a line that might be returning maybe two starters from last year. You know, Radson Jang, who started the last six, um, you know, he, he, he if he's if he's in the starting lineup, it would probably be a guard because they also brought in Colin James uh, from Abilene Christian, mm-hmm. who started ten games for uh, I believe the the Wildcats down there at ACU. Um, so you know they have starting experience on the interior, and then uh, Isaac Gutierrez is also part of that same kind of cohort too. So, like between Jang Gutierrez and James, they might have at least a reasonably experienced interior. And then from there, it's sort of about building depth and figuring out, okay, well, who's going to start at those tackle positions? Um, you know, because you might turn to, you know, so a, a, another pair of Juco guys like JC Davis, uh, DJ Wingfield, uh, or alternatively, you might turn to, you know, young up and coming guys up through the system, you know, Shanko Matautia, Harrison Cole, Jamarcus Bailey. To me, the biggest difference is I think this this unit in particular has more size up front. You know, those three guys I just mentioned, um, you know, Matatia is six foot two, but he's also 340 pounds. Uh, Cole, who I mentioned a second ago, six foot seven, 310. Ooh. Bailey's six foot six and 310, or excuse me, 330. And so I think, you know, between those guys and, and, and the other guys on the roster, you know, having more of a physical advantage up front is another one of those things where you know if they can find a unit that they settle on that they like, that's going to pay dividends for them in the long run as well. Yeah, if it's that size and it's it's going to t- like again, I can't. It's good starting over is good, I think, because experience because it's just because it's experience. We say this a million times. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's good, and hopefully, mm-hmm. it's just. Could part of it be this is a legit question? Like, part could part of this be them going through multiple quarterbacks where the offensive line just it's hard to mesh? I'm not saying that's an excuse or anything, but that's all that is a thing. If your quarterback plays a little bit different compared, like you when you rotate in Terry Wilson, Chavez, these other guys throughout last year, that can cause the offensive line to not play as well. But I do remember like the Houston Baptist game, like it wasn't great either in the opener. So I wonder if that if they have a consistent quarterback play, that should help in some degree. Hey, the offensive line knows his tendencies of. Is he going to break for the play? Is he going to run more often? Is he going to he's going to do this or do that? Or he holds the ball longer in the pocket? We know he's going to keep blocking, which you should regardless, but maybe longer than normally you would think is needed. So that if they have a stable quarterback, that helps too. But again, the line that big, large fellow is over three hundred plus. That's what they need to 
try to push around because, again, they play teams. Wyoming wants to run the ball. Boise State always has a good line. Um, look at Utah State. They're going to pass the ball. Or Sorry, not Utah State. Utah State, yeah, defense is always going to be above average with the guys they have out there. Like, look who they're playing on defenses. I said it backwards. Sorry, Wyoming's defense. I was looking the wrong way for some reason. Flipping it around. But the offensive line versus Wyoming, I'm going to repeat myself. Boise has – you get my point. They're playing teams that are good defensively. And CSU – despite the record, has a good defense. And so they're going to be challenged early enough. And they play LSU this year. It's like they're playing teams that have that will challenge them, and having that size has to help in some way when they go against teams that want to bring the pressure and everything. Yeah, I mean, the other thing you have to hope for, too, you know, to your point about continuity under center, um, you know, I mentioned like seven or eight names right now that are that are probably the likeliest candidates to be part of the, the offensive line rotation. But the other thing you also have to hope for if you're a Lobos fan is just, you know, greater continuity on on the line, too. You know, they had one guy, Cade Briggs, who started every single game, and that was it. You know, I believe they went through seven different offensive line combinations throughout the course of the season. So if that gets a little bit better, too, knock on wood, like if their health improves on the offensive line, if they can find, you know, contributors that they can rely upon, that's going to go probably – I mean, that – is probably right there the thing that will make the biggest difference for this offense overall more than quarterback more than quarterback play more than you know um everything else oh yeah clearly if it, if it if it collapses and if the running game's okay it's like they're running for the lives there they have to have this is where it's always stupid cliche but that's the real thing if their offensive line can't protect anything or push anybody out of the way they're going to be winning two games this year if that if they're just getting Chavez or Ken, whoever's back there, the transfer, whoever's at quarterback, doesn't matter. If they're getting run around and harassed the whole time, it's like it's not good for anybody. So this probably mm-hmm. is for their success because we'll get the defense later, which looks to be improving. They've defense dominated the scrimmage recently over the Lobos offense, which apparently doesn't seem to be too difficult. But that that for their success to show tangible improvement has to be in the offensive line. I think that's the most important position group on this team to say, hey, we are getting better. Because who cares if their defense Absolutely. goes from, I don't have their average per game, but let's say they improve, their defense improves by five points per game allowed. But their offense, but they still can't move the ball and they're still losing. Instead of losing 34 to 7, they lose 28 to 10. It's like, or 28 to 3. It's like, who cares? You're still losing by multiple touchdowns if your defense gets mm-hmm. a few points better per game. This has to improve to get better. And then I guess we're on to what wide receiver tight end group. Now is that what we're looking at? Pass catchers, yeah. I guess, I guess interesting it. group, in my opinion. Why so? Why is that? What's interesting? What makes them interesting? Well, because a, a lot of the guys who are probably going to be taking on big roles this year were sort of. Th- I, I wrote it down. I was like they were sort of thrown into the fire, whether they liked it or not, and got a lot of experience as a as a result. Checks out. You know, the big question for the passing game, which you know it. it, it applies just as much to the to the receivers as it does to the quarterbacks, but can they be more explosive? You know, and which, you know, this might be an obvious sort of statistic, but, you know, the only team in the country that had fewer 20-yard pass plays last year was Navy. Interesting. But, you know, there are some talents that I think that are pretty intriguing that, you know, with, a, with the benefit of a full year of experience, you know, uh, a, a full year of like getting stronger in the weight room and things like that, that they could make more of a difference this year. So like case in point, a guy like Luke Wysong, who was recently named to the, to the Horning award watch list. You know, he's the primary kick returner. He had a punt return touchdown last year. 
but he was also the team's leading receiver, 24 catches for 224 yards. You know, I would imagine that most of the reason that he didn't get, you know, his numbers on paper don't look that impressive is because of the quarterback play that you know, he and everybody else was saddled with. But, you know, he could be one of those guys that, you know, if they can find an answer under center and stick with it, his numbers could take off. Would hope the same so. thing with a guy like tight end uh, Trace Bruckler, who, you know, he's sort of one of the, the small sample guys that I'm, I'm really interested to see what he might do with more reps, with more targets um, now that he is likely to be sort of the starting tight end in, in Kyle Jarvis's stead, because you know Jarvis moved on. One of my favorite statistics of, of all these team previews, you know, according to Pro, Pro Football Focus, if you remove the snap requirement, Bruckler was one of four guys in the Mountain West with an overall grade over eighty. Interesting. Um, and, and by the way, another of those guys uh, was the was a guy known as uh, Trey McBride. Heard of him? So. You know, good company to keep. And obviously, Bruckler wasn't on the field as often as McBride was. But, you know, from what I remember seeing of him, like he seemed like a pretty useful weapon, you know, between the between the numbers, you know, over the middle of the field, which, you know, for an offensive coordinator like Derek Wareheim, who has a background working with tight ends and featuring tight ends specifically. Definitely. You know, between he and, and Whithoff, who you mentioned earlier, like they might have something there in that duo. And then beyond that, you know, they brought in, you know, Jordan Porter, who is an Arizona State transfer. They have other guys, other veterans back, both Andrew and Austin Erickson. It's really just a matter of sort of, you know, not necessarily finding one guy who's going to like be the man in this offense. It's it's more just, you know, finding a way for this offense to improve as a group. Because I don't, I don't think there's going to be any all-conference guys within this group this year. No. But it would not surprise me if it's an offense that ended up with, let's say, you know, four or five different guys that have somewhere between third, like 20 and 50 catches. And that in itself would represent marked improvement over last year. Yeah, because we look at last year overall, like just their simple yards per play. They are dead last, and it wasn't even close. 3.88 mm-hmm. yards per play, 12th place. San Diego State, who we know offense isn't ideal, and – Running issues, injuries, and whatnot. Five point one three, almost almost two yards. Well, not almost two yards. One point three yards, essentially, which is a big deal. If you add, if you run all these plays, you know, I mean, if you run seven hundred twenty-five plays, like which they ran, and you're a yard and a half behind UNLV, essentially, that's eight hundred yards. That's a huge gap there. Mm-hmm. And also, there's something to be said if you have four receivers or four pass catchers, whether it be running backs, tight ends, whatnot. And I'm not saying Lobos are going to have this one amazing guy, but if you can, like you said, spread it out, multiple guys get dirty catches or whatever, that's going to be helpful where I get it. The talent they're going to be against, they can handle single coverage and whatever their scheme is going to be, it's not going to be too difficult. But you won't be able to just to focus on, say, Lobos had one big guy who might get 65 catches, just for example, purposes only, because I don't think that's going to happen. They're not going to have to mm-hmm. focus on the one guy, but if they spread it out and have like, oh, this guy gets four catches a game here, this guy got five, this guy got two or three or – it varies per game. That's that can go a long way as well when they when there's multiple players who can get open and catch the ball because eventually they'll find you would think a weaker matchup but this, if the talent is what we think it potentially could be because they don't have a superstar they won't have a superstar but a couple guys with thirty plus catches that that will help move the ball and if they can improve just a little bit like this is a hilarious number so to, this is funny like I know there's two more games played I wish Aztecs didn't have it but I'll, t- I'll look at a more comparable team like going to UNLV because Aztecs wearing 
200 more plays than them. UNLV ran basically the exact same number of plays for them, but they were 800 yards difference total. And that's where that 1.3 yards per game comes in. So it's like it's ridiculous how bad the offense was. If they get to one more, if even they get one more yard per game, they're still last place to Mountain West last year. And that would inc- mm-hmm. give them 725, 725 more yards and still put them, well, again, well last. Like Fresno State basically more than doubled the yards. Utah State more than doubled their total yards. I know there's a game difference there, one or two more games, but Colorado State had 2,000 more yards than them on offense. If that gives you any uh, credence to how bad this Lobo's offense was. Not trying to pile on, but I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. All right, should we go to the defense, the specialty of this team? I guess if that's what we want to call it. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it really was. I yeah, mean, you yeah. Say, you mentioned like if you look at the the per game, you know, logs of, in terms of like total defense on a per play basis, mm-hmm. like you can sort of see where they might have tapped out in sort of the end of the year, um, especially in those last three weeks again. You know, at Fresno, at Boise, and then home versus Utah State. Yeah, that skews your numbers, but right? <laughs> it really does. But but here's the thing, though. Did you realize that they were still in the top 50 nationally by yards per play allowed last year? They were fifth in the league at 5.3 yards and not far off from number two with San Jose State. Like They were, they were, they were 45th solid. overall, it's pretty, which, for it's the good. sake of context, better than Boise State, mm-hmm. better than Wyoming, better than Colorado State. Yeah. All of whom you would consider to have had pretty good defenses last year. Better than Utah State as well by quite a bit. Well, not quite a yeah. bit, half a yard, um, I guess, whatever, but better than them. And, and where the offensive line struggled with a lot of those metrics that I mentioned a minute ago, like this was the defense that, you know, got after it in a lot of different respects. Like, you know, where where the offense, for example, was dead last in, in stuff rate allowed, New Mexico was 30th on defense and stuff rate last year. You know, 45th in power, power success rate allowed. You know, 60th in opportunity rate, 23rd in line yards per carry. So, like, they were pretty stingy against the run. And there's some other statistics, there's some other stats that I'll hold off on just to sort of, because uh, I'll talk about them later with regards to the secondary. But it was a defense that did a lot of good work last year. That you know, because they were losing games so badly by the end of the year, you know, if you weren't a Lobos fan, you weren't noticing that. Exactly. And you know, the good news is they are returning. A, you know, a fair amount of the talent from the last year's defense. I think, you know, if we're going to start up front, you know, the one big question that I think this unit will have all year long is, you know, the one potential hindrance is they were not a great pass rushing unit last year. Um, so you may have mentioned, you may have noted that the one thing I didn't note was their overall sack rate as a defense, which was only 5.8, 84th overall. And a lot of that had to do with Joey Noble. You know, he had mm-hmm. six and a half sacks, you know, and there were a couple of other, you know, defenders on the team that had, you know, four sacks, but it was not necessarily a strength of the team. And so having to replace him and the disruption that he was able to cause last year, I think for, for Rocky Long, that is probably priority number one. And I have to think that it will probably be more of a team effort rather than trying to find one guy to replace Noble. And you know, the good news is at least up front, you know, they have guys who might be able to collectively come close to replacing that production. You know, they still have Jake Saltonstall, who was sort of the, the bookend noble at the defensive end position. He had, you know, two and a half sacks, four and a half TFLs. He's sort of like a 
like a, a solid multi, you know, solid, if not necessarily spectacular guy, but he's a multi-year starter. Yeah. So like, that's pretty much set. You know, they might give more reps to someone like, for example, Justin Harris, who only saw one start last year, but as a part-time player, four sacks, five TFLs. Um, and then beyond that, you know, they brought in, you know, the UCLA transfer, Tyler Keen. You know, they have other guys who could take on prom- more, you know, bigger roles up front, Jaden Phillips. Bryce Santana, Kyler Drake. So it, it may not be a unit up front that has a lot of star power, but it would surprise me if they took a step back because I think as a group, mm. they might still be pretty good and, and be able to replace what Noel was able to do by himself. I think it's just going to be a matter of, of other sort of part-time players taking on bigger roles, you know, it, and and if they you know if they replace one starter, I would have to imagine that even the the guys who are you know on the on the second part of the two deep are going to still play really important roles for this defensive line. And you would think also with the scheme they run, which a lot of teams are running now, Patterson, Eastern at TCU, a lot of teams run Aztecs, obviously the type of scheme they have. And like the mm-hmm. defense wasn't terrible, like you mentioned. They're 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 really good. They give up points. Part of the thing with the points per game, that's also kind of a weird stat because the offense is so bad, it puts them in a bad position. That doesn't help them if I don't have their field position starting or defensive starting field position in front of me, but I got I gotta believe it wasn't great. And they did what they could. And the, the if the offense is better, clearly it'll help the defense. But then there's one interesting guy. You've have been reading about Cody Moon, who Danny Gonzalez probably likes quite a bit. The linebacker, right? Yeah. He's talking about like now no height. He's a walk on guy. Comes out which is like okay whatever. Isaiah Chavez was he's de- well not whatever but they they're underway on. He got he wasn't recruited out of high school. No scholarship offers. Got a scholarship during his freshman year despite him also redshirting. I guess a big deal with him is like add some weight. But Gonzalez literally says this is not like oh this is not the author kind of read into what he said. He believes that he could literally be like if he puts on weight, gets to two twenty five, could be the best linebacker in the conference. How much coach speak is that? Mm. Because that seems like oh boy, right? Well, I'm, I'm I'm sort of I'm I'm sort of fascinated by the fact that he singles out one guy because as a mm-hmm. unit, it's a really it's a really fascinating unit. Where again, like with like I've mentioned with the pass catchers, there may not be like one all conference guy in the group. But it's the group. It's a it's a group that has the potential to grow together and be pretty good, you know, within the next year or two. And bef- before I move on, I just want to put this out there um, to your question about field position. I don't know if this. I don't have like season end figures, but I went back and I looked at um, Parker Fleming's advanced stats preview at Stats of War on Twitter, and I did want to mention that on defense, their average starting position was at the thirty two point six yard line. That was 117th nationally. That doesn't help. And coincidentally, the offense was also 117th nationally in terms of starting field position. They started at their own 25.8 yard line on average. Yeah, because that goes a long way. It's like the teams that run speed on offense, like give our defense some time, you know what I mean? Or it's, it's, it's not helpful for a team. So if the offense is a little bit better, it'll help the defense where they can be as good as they want to be, be upper middle class in the Mountain West, top third in the nation. But if you only have to go – if you had to go 15 fewer yards, 20 fewer yards compared to everybody else, or more yards, I should say, to defend, that, that that's hard. But the defense, mm-hmm. like, also guys like, like have Ray Lotolu, who had a safety, the per, per, excuse me, the most recent scrimmage. Like, Danny Gonzalez, I get his defense, but he hyped him up during the scrimmage last week. And if they improve, like, here's the where wins could come for them, is if the defense, if 
not even talking about the offense, but if the defense is even a, a little bit better, they're already yards per play base is nearly the best in the conference. Like it's it's a pretty tight group, and so like point four yards can really make it number one or number five. But if they can just be that much better linebacker position, I don't know how many wins will be, but that area seems to be their strength overall. And like you said, they probably not give an all conference guy, probably because oh, it's New Mexico. It takes time to build up to say, hey, they actually have good players, unless they have a just a tackle machine player who gets like 130 tackles or something out there, like um, Cut Harmon over at San Jose State who just tackles everything that comes near him. But the unit, again, if with the coaching staff they have, like they're going to be better. They have, is this like the one of the, I know you get Kurt Mannix and Brady Hoke over at San Diego State, but isn't this possibly the best defensive staff in the conference from experience wise, like Gonzalez and Rocky Long? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Have you seen the work they put over the last couple of years? I'm saying it. And I think, it, I, think the, I think the linebacker unit is probably the best example of that because, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned Nutella, you mentioned Cody Moon. Um, but, you know, the one thing I'm really interested in is how much they utilize this unit to attack the line of scrimmage um, to try and replace what Noble was able to do as far as disrupting. Because, you know, one thing I noticed in researching is they had four different guys last year who had at least two tackles for loss. Um, and, and, and when in terms of like, you know, the number of snaps that everybody played, you know, Mexico didn't really have one guy who was on the field all the time. It really was more of a group effort than anything. And I'm trying to pull this up as I talk to sort of, you know, to, to you know, drive this point home. You know, where other teams had guys who were like, you know, playing 600, 700, 800 snaps or whatever. Um, you know, New Mexico, according to Pro Football Focus, they had one, two, three, four, five different players that played somewhere between 350 and 525 snaps last year. Hmm. And it, it, I believe four of those guys are back. Uh, and it doesn't include Rico Hanna, who only played 155. Uh, snaps but you know Hannah was one of those guys who had a couple TFLs it was him um Nutelli uh Sayer Riley and Dion Hunter and the other thing to keep in mind too which is is true I think more so of the defensive line than of the linebacker unit but most of these guys are still pretty young too so like even if there are some ups and downs this year you know they're gonna get every chance to improve as a group and they're gonna get better over time probably you know because you know uh you know i'm just trying i'm trying to look down the roster to make sure i get this right like lutelli is a, still a junior riley's a junior mm-hmm. uh hunter Dion hunter is a redshirt freshman rico hannah is the you know sort of the, the old man of the group he's a redshirt senior um but you know other than that you know cody moon who you mentioned earlier redshirt sophomore um so which is a long way of saying that they are going to get better, I think, as a group. And there are other guys, too, who I think are expected to take on bigger roles, like Alec Marenko, who we haven't even mentioned yet, but he's a sophomore, too. It's going to be a really fascinating group to see how they develop together and how they're deployed together. Because I, I'm I'm interested in seeing whether Rocky Long dials up the pressure by just sending the linebackers more often. Because I think, on the whole, that was sort of a, an integral part of their game plan from week to week. And, and if, especially if they can get help from the offense to be able to put, you know, opposing offenses on you know, under pressure, I think the linebackers could take the lead in being able to do that. You hope so. Cause if I think the pressure yeah, that you so. mentioned earlier on is 
<clears throat> the pressure, like getting the QB taken over from Noble's uh, numbers, is I, what they should do if they're if they're that strong. Go for it, right? What's the holdup? Yeah, I mean, if they think they've got like six linebackers you can get off the quarterback, then you're just gonna you're gonna keep throwing those linebackers at the quarterback, um, and and you know keep keep your guys fresh while you're wearing down the opponent at the same time. I'm sort of thinking that's what that's what their plan is going to be this year if everything goes their way. So let's get the secondary where they might have their best player overall. Is a uh, Jarek Reed probably their best player in defense or best player in the team overall? I would say so. Yeah, he had six six and, pass breakups, a couple interpicks. So, and he's hardly alone too. This this is a unit that has four starters back, and was pretty good last year. You know, despite the ups and downs, this is still a unit that that gave up the second fewest twenty yard pass plays in the Mountain West. Um, they were also second overall in completion rate allowed, only fifty five point eight percent. I think the big, uh, you know, the one potential rub is despite all of that, they were only ninth in the conference in passes defended. Yeah, it's so going to change. One of those things that could make a huge difference in the long run is just can they be more opportunistic? Can they get more hands on footballs? But to that point, you know, you you look at the the safety tandem of uh, or maybe the trio rather mm-hmm. of of Reed. Tavian Combs, the Lobo, and Ronald Wilson, who really came on strong in the second half of last year. Wasn't you know, Dante Martin still on the it, team as well? Correct? Yeah, he's he's at cornerback. Oh, yes. safety. Sorry, apologies. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you know, you know, the fact that Wilson's snap count really took off in the second half of last year, the fact that he had two interceptions leads me to believe that they have something that they really like in him. Um, and that they, they, they were throwing him into such a position as a freshman. If he's another one of those guys that's you know still very young. He's a sophomore coming into 2022. Um, so you know, I look at that unit, and then you mentioned Dante Martin. He's the fourth guy who's sort of that veteran complement. And so, really, the only question left is, okay, well, who's going to start opposite Martin at quarterback? Because um, they do have to replace Corey Hightower and uh, Tony Collier. So you know, is it going to be someone like AJ Odoms? Is it going to be Hunter Sellers, the pit transfer? I think if there's maybe one yellow flag, if you want to put it that way, you know, behind Martin, there isn't a lot of proven depth at cornerback in particular. So if they do have some some injury luck in that particular unit, that's something that might pose a problem if they aren't careful. But it's something that, like, you know, if if everything goes according to plan, then this is a secondary that should still continue to be very good at what it does. So, yeah, because this area, like the experience is there, the player's back, if they can get a couple more interceptions, a couple more breakups or pass def- – okay, this is a dumb question. Is it What's a pass – okay, this is really dumb. Maybe I should know this. So pass, de- pass breakup, I know what that is. What's a pass defended? Because I'm looking at the splits here. They're almost identical for most of these players. Do you know the technical difference between that? Is it pass defended or just dropped? Incorporates both breakups and interceptions. I think that's the difference. Uh, let's see here. Oh, that's right. If I look at my math over here, if I add those together, you're correct. Hey, if I had the question, other people did too. Because I always wonder, like, pass defended, what does that really mean? You are correct. Thank you for uh, steering me in the right direction. But this area, you are welcome. Improving that. Thank you. If they can improve on that, that's clearly, obviously, going to help them overall. And the defense is good. Like they see, get more pressure, replace Noble's production. So this defense unit. They they might be they could surprise some teams. They just got to maybe what would help them overall is definitely interceptions and 
pass break, not even a pass breakup, just drop the like, don't let him catch the ball. Whatever metric you want to use, like, just don't let the guy catch the ball. Guard the guy so well they can't get it. But if they're going to help his offense, they need interceptions, force fumbles, get the ball back, and get, and help the don't let the yardage um go down the field. Because here's the thing. If you give up, say they give up five yards per play, like the exact same number last year, but 5.01 yards per play. Let's just say that's an example. If every play is 5.01 yards, you get a first down every single play. So who cares mm-hmm. if you're giving up every other, sorry, every two plays, I should say. Or if you're giving four over, just say four yards a play, that's a first down every third play. And third down, they get a first down. Total, like I know total yards, yards per play, total yards is garbage. The yards per play is better. But if they keep giving up the same amount of yards per play every time, theoretically, they'll move down the field and score, essentially. It's, it's every team. I'm just going to make a weird point here, but they need to actually make stops and get the ball back for their team. And it, and help the they need to help the offense out. And that's what I think if this team's going to show promise and, again, tangible results. Like, if they, yeah, if they improve, if they're a top 35 defense, which possibly, maybe, because they're about mid-40s, correct? You said in the yards per play loud? In that particular metric, but I think the defense just needs to get turnovers and help the offense out. That's the best way for them to maybe get an extra win or two because who cares if they get a better yard per play average given up? Like, those are fine, but if you lose 28 to 18 every game, who cares if it's losing 35 to 12? You know what I mean? Those are weird numbers I tossed out there, but you get my point? Yeah. So, what do we got about special teams here? The other thing is, too, which we haven't really talked about a whole lot. The other thing that would help, too, is, you know, in terms of, like, red zone conversions, that was another thing that New Mexico really struggled with as a unit as well. Um, You know, in in terms of, like, just how often opponents were getting points in the red zone, the Lobos were dead last to that regard on defense. 90% of the time, they give up either a touchdown or a field goal. And so... You know, while on the other hand, they were still closer to the middle of the pack in terms of like their touchdown conversion allowed in the red zone. Mm. That's another one of those wrinkles where, again, if they can just, you know, make more plays sort of in that area of the uh, of the field, you know, probably somewhere between the, you know, the maybe the 30 and the 10 yard line. That's one of those small things that's that could have an outsized influence. Yeah, clearly the, the, they need the best thing to happen for them. They seem to be better in everywhere. <laughs> just uh yeah so anything else to add defense before we kind of slide on here where people are getting a bonus sized episode already it's pr- going pretty well yeah i think we're all set on defense who's kicking the ball for them who's punting the ball matt well do we uh, know for, as, far as, as far as the punter that would be aaron rodriguez who had good, more good. punts than anybody else in the country last year shocker um <laughs> sorry so, you know, he got a lot of work, and I mean, if, if past precedence is any indication, he's probably going to get better in year two. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Luke Wysong is probably going to be the primary returner. I don't know if he's going to return both punts and kicks. You know, the biggest question right now for, for the Lobos on special teams is who's going to be the kicker? Mm-hmm. Um, because on the one hand, George Steinkamp only has a career field goal rate of 50%, 6 of 12 uh, on the other hand, their other option is a true freshman, uh, Luke, uh, and, I'm, and I'm probably going to butcher this last name, I apologize, uh, Luke Drzecki. Close enough. I don't know. Um, true freshman kicker, stay away a mile away. I do not want you unless you are amazing. And unless you're Brandon Talton as a true freshman beating up on a Big Ten school, no. It's going to be sort of a mystery, but that's another one of those things that, you know, if, if you know, depending on how well the answer works out, you know, could make for a, a 
maybe a better than expected year or a frustrating one. All right, should we go to the schedule now? Let's do it. All right, so we have schedule here. So they uh, open up on what? September, as we mentioned before, September 3rd against the main bears of the FCS, which is a uh, nice. Uh, that's, uh, that's the main black bear. Oh, sorry. Sorry. You. Sorry. Who's the. Sorry that they dismay or insult our half a main listener who somehow stumbled across this show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the Lobos fans want to make sure that we're getting this information correct. I apologize. I know that I didn't get. Okay, whatever. No, not what. Sorry, playing Maine Black Bears. Sorry, who is? Uh, isn't that where? Um, no, who? That's Delaware. I'm thinking of Joe Flacco. He went somewhere else. So, what? Your FCS minute yeah, guy. What do we got for the for the Maine Black Bears? So Maine is starting a new chapter of their own this year. Um, they lost their previous head coach Nick Charlton to UConn. I believe he's the offensive coordinator there now. Is that an upgrade? Um, but they brought back <laughs> for UConn. They brought back a, a Black Bear alum, Jordan Stevens, who was a you know a former Maine player, former defensive line coach, uh, went to Yale, was co-defensive coordinator there, helped the Bulldogs win an Ivy League title in 2018. Um, and now he's come back home and he's inheriting not necessarily a terrible situation. Um, you know, they've got some nice pieces on offense. You know, they have a, you know, Freddie Brock who, you know, got his feet wet during the 2021 spring season, had 857 all-purpose yards last year, 10 total touchdowns, you know, and I think the biggest difference for them from, from last fall to, to this fall in particular is they will also get their starting quarterback, you know, who missed most of last year with injury, Joe Fagnano, only played four games. But, you know, when he's been healthy, he's been pretty good. You know, for his career, 62% completion rate, you know, 31 touchdowns, over 3,400 yards. Um, I think the biggest question is what Stevens will be able to do with his defense because it wasn't necessarily great last year. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. He was right around the middle of the pack in, in the FCS with 5.94 yards per play. Um, but it was definitely below average within the Colonial Athletic uh, Conference, the CAA, you know, 10th in uh, yards per play allowed, 11th in, in point, or actually, excuse me, 10th in points per game allowed, 11th in yards per play allowed. Um, so while they do have some pieces back, like it's not going to be a bad FCS team, but this is definitely a team that New Mexico should be able to beat at home. So I have it as a Lobos win. I think they should. They do lose their top tackle in Ray Miller from last year, 103 tackles, it looks like, from last year. Yeah. They're also a couple, like they started the season terribly. End up, I think, what, one and four. They ended up going five and one down the stretch. A couple years ago, four years ago, they're in the final four of the FCS playoffs. So they've been typically a pretty strong team. But there's a lot yeah. going on. But I do have a Lobos winning, but it, this could be clearly on upset alert. Right? Is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to take anything. You don't want to take anything for granted. But I think you know, if New Mexico shows the kind of improvements that Lobos fans are hoping for, and that you know, certainly they're hoping for internally, then this is a game they should win comfortably. Yeah, they say. they should. I think they can win by two touchdowns. That's fair. Yeah. All right, then they early conference game. They play Boise State, which is not going to be a win. Do you believe the hype in Boise State saying their defense might have the most NFL players ready on this roster drafted or taken or selected? Because I've seen some of that floating around. And if that's the case, this Lobos offense has a lot of work to do, and it will be a long afternoon for them. Uh, I mean, without I mean, without looking at their roster right now, I mean, say that that's a 
there's probably a reasonable case for that. Like the defense is going to be very good. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something we talked about at length during our Broncos podcast. So hint, hint, you should go listen to that if you haven't already. Um, but I'm with you. I have that one as a New Mexico loss. Yeah, obviously it's a loss. Then they then they play a UTEP game, which is an old whack rival game. It's um it's at home. And here's interesting interesting thing too. They start their first three games at home, which is nice. So hopefully people show up at University Stadium, pack the stadium, go watch your team, beat Maine, watch a good team in Boise State. UTEP will be at a game where they probably I'm probably should win because UTEP with Dana Dimmel's coming off a bowl game last year. They played pretty well. Then those players, like their top receiver, went to Arizona. Transfer portal kind of hurt these guys, which kind of sucks because with you're a good team at, who hasn't been good for a while, and you get to be above average and go bowling because they played Fresno State last year, right? Was that their bowl game they played? Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. And they lost to Fresno State, but you lose talent, or no, you play well. Okay, we're going to lose talent, which is unfortunate for a team because UTEP has been pretty terrible for a while. But now that they're getting better, they lose some of these guys. This game's on, let's see here. I don't know TV time yet because in New Mexico, I forget what it was. But when you look at this game, it's in Las Cruces. Or not Las Cruces, sorry. That's the, the rivalry game we'll get to in a moment. I'm trying to pull up here real quick the um, FPI um, to see what they have there, who's projected. But this is, a game, this is a good matchup game where it's fairly evenly matched up. And FPI has UTEP at 57.9% to win the game, which – Seems about right, I guess, because Lobos have been pretty bad. UTEP has the experience of being good last year, but losing talent they have, it's like I'm. I want the here's the I'm willing the Lobos to win this game. I want them to beat UTEP. I want them to have them come beat the rival, old rival, come into town and they can beat them this year. That's what I'm hoping for. But uh, it's gonna be a tough one. I think this will be one of the most evenly matched games they play all year. I think on their schedule, outside of maybe UNLV. Yeah, I mean. Honestly, it might be the same kind of phone booth fight it was last year because, <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned the losses that they had on offense, um, which, you know, we talked about it a little bit with the with the Boise State podcast for that as well. But, you know, they do still have their quarterback, Gavin Hardison, back. You know, they have their running back tandem of, of Ronald Watt and, and Deion Hankins. But, you know, I think the most important thing is their defense is still going to be pretty good this year. Um, and so I think, you know, that would probably be the kind of game that, that Gonzalez and Long would relish playing is just, you know, getting locked into a defensive duel. It's just a matter of, you know, is that going to work out against a team like the Miners? Because they've got maybe the best defensive line in Conference USA, uh, not just Prezama Wule, but also, you know, Keenan Stewart, Kelton Moss, uh, Jadrian Taylor. Uh, and oh, by the way, their linebackers may also be pretty good as well. You know, they're bringing back all, you know, their, their two main guys uh, in the middle of the defense in Tyrese Knight and Breon Hayward. I think if there's any potential soft spot, it's in a secondary that's going to have to replace four starters from last year. But again, that's sort of the big question about this New Mexico offense is, you know, are, are they going to be able to protect whoever's under center enough to be able to you know, come away with a victory in this one. And honestly, I just, I don't know. And I think that UTEP would be able to pull out a low scoring game in this one. So I have this one as a New Mexico loss. I'm going with the upset New Mexico Lobos to get the win. So you're welcome, Lobos fans. Two and oh, two and one at this point. (laughs) Then they go to LSU, which despite new head coach Brian Kelly there, quarterback retires. They had a Miles Brennan, which wasn't much of anything. They bring in J.D. Daniels from Arizona State. They don't know what the offensive line is looking at at the moment. So it's it doesn't matter. They're not going to win this game. 
But I would like to see them not get blown out. Maybe the defense can actually show something like, hey, we slowed down LSU to do this. Because LSU is probably going to win eight games or something, I'm guessing. But mm-hmm. they're not They're not going to be competing for the SEC. They're not going to be competing for the SEC West. They're probably, let me guess, behind – they're going to be behind Arkansas, I'm guessing, behind Texas A&M, Alabama. They're probably just slightly above Missouri, I'm guessing, somewhere in that range. But – but their offensive line being a mess, that could be an area where, or at least maybe not mess is a proper improper word, but settled, is a situation where their Brian Kelly's looking at right now. I gotta think that they're probably gonna be like a thirty point difference in this game, but if they can keep them under thirty five points, is that kind of a moral victory of sorts? If they if they could also put up maybe two touchdowns? I mean, I don't I honestly don't think that's gonna happen because you know, the Tigers have some like really good talents on both sides of the ball. They always do. Um, so. you, know, you mentioned Jaden Daniels coming in from Arizona State, but they also might have a guy in Keishon Boudé who could win the Boletnikov Award this year if he stays healthy. Um, and, and I saw a quote recently that he said as much like if he had stayed healthy last year, he might have won the Boletnikov Award instead of Jordan Addison uh, out there at USC now. And honestly, there's a pretty, I mean, there's a pretty good case for that because he only played in six games, but he had 38 catches, 508 yards and nine touchdowns. So Mm. like if he and Daniels can get on the same page, like that could be a pretty scary uh, connection right there. It's him or it's Garrett Nussmeyer possibly as well, quarterback. Yeah, but they also brought in some you know imports on defense too. Like they brought in a really good cornerback, Jarek Bernard Converse from uh, from Oklahoma State. Uh, Forty-seven starts for the Cowboys out there in Big Twelve country. You know he had eleven pass breakups last year. You know he could be that guy that replaces Derek Stingley. You know as their sort of number one cornerback, and and also they're all they're bringing back a really good defensive end pairing in B.J. Ojulari and Ali Gay. Um, you know, Gay had, uh, I think he only played in four games last year. He was injured for most of the year, but he was an all SEC performer the year before that. And so, you know, they've got guys on both sides of the ball who should be able to, you know, make a lot of headaches for New Mexico. So, I mean, you want it to be close. I don't think it's going to be close. Well, I think LSU is going to walk in that one. LSU is going to win. I'm just saying, if they, if I'm looking at best case scenario here, if they can keep it within like three touchdowns. I don't, I don't think know. They will, you don't think they will? Oh boy, that's not good. I don't think they will. Well, they're I would not... like them to. I don't think they will. Okay. All right. Then they have UNLV, which is the next most one of the more winnable games. So conference play gets going at UNLV host host Wyoming at New Mexico State. Obviously, out of league play. They're la- hey, Let's start. Let's let's skip forward real quick. Fresno. This stretch, we talk about teams that have difficult stretches. I think we had mentioned San Jose State last time, where they have CSU, San Diego State, Utah State road games in Hawaii. In there, kind I of difficult. What you're looking at this is this is rough. Yeah, Fresno State at Utah State at Air Force, San Diego State, Colorado State, literally, potentially, I mean, I mean, top four teams in a row, and then probably four of the top six because Boise State is um, they play them earlier, right at the very beginning. Yeah, those are all losses for me. There's the CSU game, like talent wise, they're probably maybe in the ballpark. But after that's going to be a fascinating test. This Lobos defense versus that sort of rejuvenated air raid offense out there in Fort Collins. Yeah, the only issue with me with that being look who they played before: Fresno, Utah State, Air Force, San Diego State. They're going to get beat up and get probably, unfortunately, not close games to any of those. Maybe San Diego State just because they don't score a ton of points, they might lose that game twenty to ten, but it won't feel like it. So that's why out of that stretch, I have them losing all five. But the Rams game will be interesting if they can somehow keep some sort of health and have some. 
not just be hanging your head because you lost four in a row. That game will be quite interesting, but those, that stretch is one of the toughest in the conference. Mm-hmm. The only other game I have winning, we have two games that are or two games that are winnable. They're not beating Wyoming either, I don't think, because the defense is too strong. That might be a low yeah, scoring. That, a loss too. that could be a low scoring, interesting game because Wyoming's offense, Titus Wynn running the ball, that's a potential to go against. But that's kind of strength for strength, so we'll see. But that that could be like an Aztec game where it's like they Wyoming wins by maybe two touchdowns, but it's like twenty one seven low scoring where Lobos can hang around just because their defense is doing it. But the only other win I have is New Mexico State on the road, who we talked about multiple times before. Rivalry game. They they beat them last year. They're on the Mountain West affiliate member list here. Probably have to get full of sports to watch the game. However, the opener for New Mexico State is on an ESPN network versus Nevada, which was announced today. So that's interesting. So maybe this could be an ESPN Plus game or something to not flow sports, which I thought they had to deal with. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought they did. But this will be a win, but it'll be another challengeable – Challengeable is not a word. A more a um, evenly matched game, but we already mentioned Jerry Kill and things like that. This team, you can listen to all of our other shows we have, but I, like, who do they have? Like, who is there a player you're looking at in this team? Like, they need to be aware of on New Mexico State for the Aggies or for the Lobos. So I'll bring it around full circle for those people who don't want to go back and, and listen to the other ones. I think you know, for as bad as the defense was in Las Cruces last year, they had some pretty good individual performances, which sort of, you know, it's sort of hard to square. So like, for example, you know, Chris Ojo, um, mm-hmm. even going back to his time at Eastern Washington, you know, they, when they made a national championship run um, in 2018, they got to the championship game. You know, he had over a hundred tackles that year. Uh, and then, you know, he was injured in 2019. COVID of course blew everything up in 2020 transferred to New Mexico State, and last year he had 16 mm-hmm. tackles for loss and six sacks. So, you know, between he and Trevor Brohard in that linebacker unit, who also had seven TFLs and two sacks, like, they've got some pieces that should be able to disrupt at least a little bit. You know, same with, like, a defensive end, Donovan King. You know, 10 TFLs, two and a half sacks. So they've got some interesting guys on defense i just don't know what the offense is going to look like because they're having to replace their quarterback they're replacing backs you know they're leading rusher i believe from last year um you know their best offensive linemen moved on um so yeah it's good it's probably gonna be another long year before they move to conference usa out, out there um which i don't think new mexico is gonna mind i have this one as a lobos win they should be able to hold on to the real grand rivalry uh trophy for another year just real quick, the Aggies defense allowed 40 points per game last year. So there's that. Yes. UNLV's the other game winnable. I have this as a loss, partly because it's after the LSU game. That's a tough one. It's also another road game, back-to-back plane trips and stuff like that. This game is not – it's not unlikely that they could win, but I think with UNLV, they're in the same situation, Sanchez and um, Coach Arroyo there in, in Vegas, where – Quarterback situation is not settled, but we could know might probably Cam Frill, I'm guessing, because they have a couple. He looks to be they've had enough guys. Whoever they tossed in there, we we talked about last year a ton, played reasonably well for part of the game. A lot of close games they've had last year. We know they're replacing Charles Williams, a couple other players on defense. Kyle Williams receiver there. This could be balanced. This could be a closer. It's similar to the to the Rams game versus CSU, where it's going to be a good test to see where New Mexico is at. I have UNLV winning. Partly because I don't think the offense could, could do enough against this team. So, yeah, 
All right, is there anything else to add for these? Te- or what's your record? What do we got? I got three and nine. I got them winning one conference game, unfortunately. Or no, no, excuse me. I have Z- them zero. So I have them at two and ten, zero and eight in conference. I have three and nine, zero and eight in conference. I was looking at the New Mexico State game. I was halfway down my dock here. I'm like, all right, so three and nine. What makes it What makes it especially difficult is just knowing is trying to project how much better the offense is going to be. Yeah, like, and it is entirely possible that I am hedging too much. Because as you just mentioned, like you, there are winnable games on this schedule, and you know even for as rough as things got offensively last year, they were still able to steal one from from Wyoming. You know this, is, so like I'm sort of think I'm the, the way I'm forecasting it is like, you know this might be a team that is better overall, but worse in the win column just in terms of luck of the draw because mm-hmm. you know especially with that second half of the schedule, yikes, you know what I mean. Yeah, that's a problem. It could also be that it could also be like if the offense exceeds expectations, you know, they could beat a team like UTEP if 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 the miners regress. They could beat UNLV. They could beat Wyoming again. They could beat Colorado State, like you mentioned, in addition to beating Maine and New Mexico State. So while it's not necessarily like the likeliest scenario, there's enough on the table that they could threaten to bowl to be bowl eligible. How do you see that playing out? Beating Wyoming and Colorado State? They've really got to win like all as many home games as they can. They got San Diego State and Fresno at home, pal. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's not going to be easy. But you know, I, like I said, I don't think it's the most likely scenario. But I really don't see them being you know any worse than two and ten. So, like, I might be hedging, and and you can yell at me if you think that I am. <laughs> Um, but it also would not surprise me if they steal another couple wins and improve in the win column again to sort of set themselves up uh, to sort of to to make a run at that bowl eligibility next year. But as, like I said, I would say it's not without outside the realm of possibility that they could take a, a, you know, a little bit of a jump, if not necessarily like, let's say, uh, a Utah State-esque jump this year. Exactly. Like I could see maybe CSU, maybe Wyoming. Those are like the only other two I could see. And that, that's me best case at five. Mm. Like um, that's not not happening. So that's it. We did it, Matt. All twelve teams. We made it. We got through the entire schedule, bumps in the road and all that. But we're basically still on track. We're not doing four podcasts in four days, which I don't think we've done before. But that's a uh, it's been a thing where we've been interesting. That's, that's the season's first win right there. <laughs> exactly. So for the, if you haven't listened to any of the other ones, go back. There's still time before the season starts to go back and listen to all eleven other of these podcasts. We're going to do. I guess I'll announce kind of what we're doing a little bit because it's our most recent one, but. Our big giant previews coming up. I, again, man, I'm going to play some games like who's the F- FCS upset game or FBS upset game we're having. We're going to do some random, bold, and stupid picks like we like to do. And maybe I can, Matt, can I convince you to change your record on one team perhaps? Is that a possibility? Probably not. <laughs> Dang it. I'll do my best and try. So check us out, mwr.com. We'll be back. Uh, I'm not sure when. Within the week because week zero is literally next week. So we'll have our big giant preview We'll do our week zero kind of mini preview. Then we're off the races for twice a week and all our previews and recaps and all sorts of random stuff on the website. So if you like our show, tell us and go to mwr.com. And, yeah, we'll see you next time, folks. It's football, Matt. It's here. Game Teams are practicing for game week, and it's amazing. We'll see you next time.